0: Chapter Fifteen of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter Fifteen. Three or four days passed in great tranquillity, and Lady Cecil rejoiced that the great medicine acted so well on the rankling malady of her brother's soul. It was the leafy month of June, and nature was as beautiful as these lovely beings themselves, who enjoyed her sweets with enthusiastic and new-sprung delight. They sailed on the sunny sea, or lingered by the summer brooks, and among the rich woodlands, Ignorant, why, all appeared robed in a brightness which before they had never observed. Elizabeth had little thought beyond the present hour, except to wish for the time when Faulkner was to join them. Neville rebelled somewhat against the new law he obeyed, but it was a slothful rebellion, till, on the day he was awakened from his dream of peace, One morning Elizabeth, on entering the breakfast-room, found Lady Cecil leaning discontentedly by the window, resting her cheek on her hand, and her brow overcast. "'He is gone!' she exclaimed. "'It is too provoking! "'Gerard is gone! "'A letter came, and I could not detain him. "'It will take him probably to the other end of the kingdom, and who knows when we shall see him again?' They sat down to breakfast, but Lady Cecil was full of discontent. It is not only that he is gone, she continued, but the cause of his going is full of pain and care, and unfortunately you cannot sympathize with me, for I have not obtained his consent to confide his hapless story to you. Would that I might! You would feel for him, for us all. He has been unhappy since childhood, observed Elizabeth he has it is true but how did you learn that has he ever told you anything i saw him many years ago at baden how wild how sullen he was unlike his present self for then there was a violence and a savageness in his gloom which has vanished poor boy said lady cecil i remember well and it is a pleasure to think that i am to a great degree the cause of the change He had no friend at that time, none to love, to listen to him, and foster hopes which, however vain, diminish his torments, and are all the cure he can obtain till he forgets them. But what can this mean? she continued, starting up. What can bring him back? It is Gerard returned. She threw open the glass door, and went out to meet him as he rode up the avenue. He threw himself from his horse, and advanced, exclaiming, Is my father here? sir boyville no is he coming oh yes we shall see him soon i met a servant with a letter sent express the post was too slow he will be here soon he left london last night you know with what speed he travels but why this sudden visit can you not guess he received a letter from the same person containing the same account he knew i was here he comes to balk my purpose to forbid to storm, to reproach, to do all that he has done a thousand times before with the same success. Neville looked flushed and disturbed. His face, usually more in sorrow than in anger, now expressed the latter emotion, mingled with scorn and resolution. He gave the letter he had received to Lady Cecil. I am wrong, perhaps, in returning at his bidding, since I do not mean ultimately to obey— Yet he charges me on my duty to hear him once again, so I am come to hear, to listen to the old war of his vanity with what he calls my pride, his vindictiveness with my sense of duty, his vituperation of her I worship, and I must bear this. Lady Cecil read the letter, and Neville pressed Elizabeth's hand, and besought her excuse, while she, much bewildered, was desirous to leave the room. At this moment the noise of a carriage was heard on the gravel. "'He is here,' said Neville. "'See him first, Sophia. "'Tell him how resolved I am, how right in my resolves. "'Try to prevent a struggle as disgraceful as vain, "'and most so to my father, since he must suffer defeat.' With a look of much distress Lady Cecil left the room to receive her new guest, while elizabeth stole out by another door into the grove and mused under the shady covert on what had passed she felt curious yet saddened concord affection and sympathy are so delightful that all that disturbs the harmony is eminently distasteful family contentions are worst of all yet she would not prejudge neville he felt in its full bitterness the pain of disobeying his parent and whatever motive led to such a mode of action it hung like an eclipse over his life what it might be she could not guess but it was no ignoble self-centred passion hope and joy were sacrificed to it she remembered him as she first saw him a boy driven to wildness by a sense of injury she remembered him when reason and his better nature had subdued the selfish portion of his feeling grown kind as a woman active friendly and sympathizing as few men are she recollected him by Faulkner's sick couch and when he took leave of her auguring that they should meet in a happier hour that hour had not yet come and she confessed to herself that she longed to know the cause of his unhappiness and wondered whether by counsel or sympathy she could bring any cure She was plunged in reverie, walking slowly beneath the forest trees, when she heard a quick step brushing the dead leaves and fern, and Neville joined her. I have escaped, he cried, and left poor Sophie to bear the scoldings of an unjust and angry man. I could not stay. It was not cowardice. But I have recollections joined to such contests that make my heart sick besides i should reply and i would not willingly forget that he is my father it must be indeed painful said elizabeth to quarrel with to disobey a parent yet there are motives that might that might excuse it do you remember the character of hamlet miss Faulkner? perfectly It is the embodying of the most refined, the most genuine, and yet the most harrowing feelings and situation that the imagination ever conceived. I have read that play, said Neville, till each word seems instinct with a message direct to my heart, as if my own emotions gave a conscious soul to every line. Hamlet was called upon to avenge a father. In execution of his task he did not spare a dearer, a far more sacred name. If he used no daggers with his mother, he spoke them, nor winced, though she writhed beneath his hand. Mine is a lighter, yet a holier duty. I would vindicate a mother, without judging my father, without any accusation against him, I would establish her innocence. Is this blamable? "'What would you do, Miss Faulkner, if your father were accused of a crime?' "'My father and a crime? Impossible!' exclaimed Elizabeth, for, strange to say, all the self-accusations of Faulkner fell empty on her ear. It was a virtue in him to be conscience-stricken for an error. Of any real guilt she would have pledged her life that he was free. "'Yes, impossible,' cried Neville. "'Doubtless it is so.' but did you hear his name stigmatized shame attend your very kindred to him what would you do defend him prove his innocence would you not a life were well sacrificed to such a duty and to that very duty mine is devoted in childhood i rebelled against the accusation with vain but earnest indignation now i am calmer because i am more resolved but I will yield to no impediment, be stopped by no difficulty, not even by my father's blind commands. My mother, dear name, dearer for the ills attached to it, my angel mother shall find an unfaltering champion in her son.' "'You must not be angry,' he continued, in reply to her look of wonder, "'that I mention circumstances which it is customary to slur over and conceal.' It is shame for me to speak, for you to hear my mother's name. That very thought gives a keener edge to my purpose. God knows what miserable truth is hidden by the veils which vanity, revenge, and selfishness have drawn around my mother's fate. But that truth, though it be a bleeding one, shall be disclosed, and her innocence be made as clear as the sun now shining above us. It is dreadful, very dreadful, to be told, to be persuaded that the idol of one's thoughts is corrupt and vile. It is no new story, it is true. Wives have been false to their husbands ere now, and some have found excuses, and sometimes been justified. It is the manner makes the thing that my mother should have left her happy home, which, under her guardian eye, was paradise, have deserted me, her child, whom she so fondly loved, and who, even in that unconscious age, adored her, and her poor little girl, who died neglected, that year after year she has never inquired after us, nor sent, nor sought a word, while following a stranger's fortune through the world, that she, whose nightly sleep was broken by her tender cares, whose voice so often lulled me, and whose every thought and act was pure as an angel's, that she, tempted by the arch-fiend, strayed from hell for her destruction, should leave us all to misery, and her own name to obloquy. No, no. The earth is yet sheltered by heaven, and sweet and good things abide in it. And she was, and is, among them sweetest and best neville was carried away by his feelings while elizabeth overpowered by his vehemence astonished by the wild strange tale he disclosed listened in silence yet an eloquent silence for her eyes filled with tears and her heart burned in her bosom with a desire to show how entirely she shared his deep emotion i have made a vow he continued "'It is registered in heaven, "'and each night as I lay my head on my pillow I renew it, "'and beside you the best of earthly things "'now that my dear mother is gone, I repeat, "'that I devote my life to vindicate her who gave me life, "'and my selfish, revengeful father is here to impede, to forbid, "'but I trample on such obstacles as on these dead leaves beneath our feet. "'You do not speak, Miss Falkner.' Did you ever hear of Mrs. Neville? I have spent all my life out of England, replied Elizabeth, yet I have some recollection. I do not doubt it. To the ends of the earth, the base-minded love to carry the tale of slander and crime. You have heard of Mrs. Neville, who, for the sake of a stranger, deserted her home, her husband, her helpless children, and has never been heard of since who unheard and undefended was divorced from her husband whose miserable son was brought to witness against her it is a story well fitted to raise vulgar wonder vulgar abhorrence do you wonder that i who since i was nine years old have slept and waked on the thought should have been filled with hate rancor and every evil passion till the blessed thought dawned on my soul that I would prove her innocence, and that she should be avenged. For this I live. And now I must leave you. I received yesterday a letter which promises a clue to guide me through this labyrinth. Wherever it leads, there I follow. My father has come to impede me, but I have, after using unavailing remonstrance, told him that I will obey a sense of duty independent of parental authority." I do not mean to see him again. I now go. But I could not resist the temptation of seeing you before I went, and proving to you the justice of my resolves. If you wish for further explanation, ask Sophia. Tell her that she may relate all. There is not a thought or act of my life with which I would have you unacquainted, if you will deign to listen." Thank you for this permission, said Elizabeth. Lady Cecil is desirous, I know, of telling me the cause of a melancholy which, good and kind as you are, you ought not to suffer. Alas! this is a miserable world! And when I hear of your sorrows, and remember my dear fathers, I think that I must be stoned to feel no more than I do. And yet I would give my life to assist you in your task, I know well how generous you are, though I cannot now express how my heart thanks you. I will return before you leave my sister. Wherever fate and duty drives me, I will see you again. They returned towards the house, and he left her. His horse was already saddled, and standing at the door. He was on it, and gone in a moment. Elizabeth felt herself as in a dream when he was gone. Yet her heart and wishes went with him for she believed the truth of all he said, and revered the enthusiasm of affection that impelled his actions. There was something wild and proud in his manner, which forcibly reminded her of the boy of sixteen, who had so much interested her girlish mind, and his expressions, indignant and passionate as they were, yet vouched by the very sentiment they conveyed for the justice of his cause." gallant noble-hearted being god assist your endeavours god and every good spirit that animates this world thus her soul spoke as she saw him ride off and turning into the house a half involuntary feeling made her take up the volume of shakespeare containing hamlet and she was soon buried not only in the interest of the drama itself but in the various emotions it excited by the association it now bore to one she loved more even than she knew it was nothing strange that neville essentially a dreamer and a poet should have identified himself with the prince of denmark while the very idea that he took to himself and acted on sentiments thus high-souled and pure adorned him yet more in her eyes endowing him in ample measure with that ideality which the young and noble love to bestow on the objects of their attachment after a short time she was interrupted by lady cecil who looked disturbed and vexed she said little except to repine at gerard's going and sir boyville's stay he also was to depart the following morning. But Sir Boyville was a man who made his presence felt disagreeably, even when it was limited to a few hours. Strangers acknowledge this. No one liked the scornful morose old man, and a near connection who was open to so many attacks, and sincerely loved one whom Sir Boyville pretended most to depreciate, was even more susceptible to the painful feelings he always contrived to spread round him to despise everybody to contradict everybody with marks of sarcasm and contempt to set himself up for an idol and yet to scorn his worshippers these were the prominent traits of his character added to a galled and sore spirit which was forever taking offence which discerned an attack in every word and was on the alert to repay these fancied injuries with real and undoubted insult he had been a man of fashion and retained as much good breeding as was compatible with a tetchy and revengeful temper this was his only merit he was nearly seventy years of age remarkably well preserved but with strongly marked features and a countenance deeply lined set off by a young-looking wig which took all venerableness from his appearance without bestowing juvenility His lips were twisted into a sneer, and there was something in his evident vanity that might have provoked ridicule, but that traces of a violent, unforgiving temper prevented him from being merely despicable, while they destroyed every particle of compassion with which he might have been regarded, for he was a forlorn old man, separating himself from those allied to him by blood or connection, excellent as they were his only pleasure had been in society secluding himself from that or presenting himself only in crowds where he writhed to find that he went for nothing he was miserable yet not to be comforted for the torments he endured were integral portions of his own nature He looked surprised to see Elizabeth, and was at first very civil to her, with a sort of old-fashioned gallantry, which, had it been good-humoured, might have amused, but as it was appeared forced, misplaced, and rendered its object very uncomfortable. Whatever Lady Cecil said, he contradicted. He made disagreeable remarks about her children, prophesying in them so much future torment, and when not personally impertinent, amused them by recapitulating all the most scandalous stories rife in London of unfaithful wives and divided families, absolutely gloating with delight when he narrated anything peculiarly disgraceful. After half an hour Elizabeth quite hated him, and he extended the same sentiment to her on her bestowing a meed of praise on his son. "'Yes,' he said in reply, "'Gerard is a very pleasant person. "'If I said he was half madman, half fool, I should certainly say too much, and appear an unkind father.' But the sort of imbecility that characterizes his understanding is, I think, only equalled by his self-willed defiance of all laws which society has established. In conduct he very much resembles a lunatic armed with a weapon of offense, which he does not fear himself, and deals about on those unfortunately connected with him, with the same indifference to wounds on this speech lady cecil coloured and rose from the table and her friend gladly followed leaving sir boyville to his solitary wine never had elizabeth experienced before the intolerable weight of an odious person's society she was stunned ''We have but one resource,'' said Lady Cecil. ''You must sit down to the piano. Sir Boyville is too polite not to entreat you to play on, and too weary not to fall asleep. He is worse than ever.'' ''But he is your father,'' cried Elizabeth, astonished. ''No, thank heaven,'' said Lady Cecil. ''What could have put that into your head?'' ''Oh, I see. I call Gerard my brother.'' Sir Boyville married my poor mother, who is since dead. We are only connected, I am happy to say. There is no drop of his blood in my veins. But I hear him coming. Do play something of hers. The noise will drown every other sound, and even astonish my father-in-law. The evening was quickly over, for Sir Boyville retired early. The next morning he was gone, and the ladies breathed freely again. It is impossible to attempt to describe the sort of moral nightmare the presence of such a man produces. Do you remember in Madame de Sévigné's letters, said Lady Cecil, where she observes that disagreeable society is better than good, because one is so pleased to get rid of it? In this sense, Sir Boyville is the best company in the whole world. We will take a long drive to-day to get rid of the last symptoms of the Sir Boyville fever. "'And you will tell me what all this mystery means,' said Elizabeth. "'Mr. Neville gave some hints yesterday, but referred me to you. "'You may tell me all.' "'Yes, I am aware,' replied Lady Sisson. "'This one good, at least, I have reaped from Sir Boyville's angry visit. "'I am permitted to explain to you the causes of our discord, "'and of dear Gerard's sadness. "'I shall win your sympathy for him, and exculpate us both.' It is a mournful tale, full of unexplainable mystery, shame, and dreaded ill. It fills me perpetually with wonder and regret. Nor do I see any happy termination, except in the oblivion, in which I wish that it was buried. Here is the carriage. We will not take any of the children with us, that we may suffer no interruption." elizabeth's interest was deeply excited and she was as eager to listen as her friend to tell the story outlasted a long drive it was ended in the dusky twilight as they sat after dinner looking out on the summer woods while the stars came out twinkling amid the foliage of the trees and the deer kept close to graze The hour was still, and was rendered solemn by a tale as full of heartfelt sorrow and generous enthusiasm as ever won maiden's attention, and bespoke her favor for him who loved and suffered. End of chapter 15